Hello and welcome to the 17th edition of the Developing Your Football World podcast and the fourth British Football Coaches Network episode. I'm Matt Ward, as always, and today I'm joined again by James McAloon. James, let's get to the important questions first, mate. How is the swimming pool? Yeah, it's, it's been good. It's been a little bit busier the last couple of days as the, uh, as the restrictions get lifted. But, you know, the water's still, still nice and warm and clear, so I can't complain. Did you manage to get a game of water polo going while social distancing? Not yet. Um, I'm going to see if I can get the net up. So when the official restrictions get lifted, I've, I've had a word. I've got on the, the local delivery site, Lazada. No money joking. You know, I'm, I'm terrible at anything like water polo. The ball will be smashing windows. The, uh... So everything is good as normal, right? Yeah, it's good, mate. Yeah, thank good you. Good man, good man. Good, good to chat again. Good to chat. Yeah, yeah. And today, our guests were joined by former national. And today, our guest, we are joined by former national team head coach Louis Lancaster. Louis, how are you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure. Pleasure to have you on, mate. Uh, Lou, where are you now at the moment in the world? Uh, currently in the UK, uh, just north of London, near Stevenage. Everything keeping safe, family are well? Yep, um, blessed, live in a village, so lots of fields with the kids every day. Wife's been incredible, she's a teacher, so uh, no, we've got a good little schedule here, we're, we're alright, we're safe and we're, we're enjoying ourselves, which is good. Well, I just have to mention this quickly for everyone listening, this may be a very educational um episode as all of our better halves are teachers so that's something to celebrate I think to to our good ladies and that's not to say that we're also educated but at least they are that's one thing yeah we can give them a magic cheer they're, they're doing a great job keeping uh, <laughs> keep, keeping keeping all the children of the world busy so we'll give them a magic cheer well done guys well done Lou brilliant mate brilliant okay First of all, uh, we're just going to go through really, 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 really bit of fun question here. Now, you may or may not know about the football manager game on the computer. Everyone's crazy about it. I used to play on it years ago as a kid. And uh, now I'm fortunate enough to actually feature on it, as are you, Louis. James, unfortunately, you haven't quite made it on there yet. Uh, I can't I believe it. No, I, I know. I'm going to write to them after and have a word with that. Uh, but you are now in the Bangladesh Premier League as a professional coach so I have no doubt you will be unless things go really tits up you will be on the next edition I, uh, I'm so going to get my letter in already yeah get, get it in mate that. see see if they can add you to like a mid-season version or something uh, yeah. uh, an update I think it's called yeah like a transfer window yeah 100% <laughs> exactly so Lou if now it's rating out of 20 rating out of 20 20 being amazing so, as a player, what would you say your rating is as a player? What kind of feature? It, it might be long shots, it might be passing, it might be technical. What are you rated out of 20 at what? Just choose one. Left foot sledgehammer, 20. <laughs> so, so, Lou is long shots, left footed, 20 out of 20. And, you know, the guys with a left peg uh, normally got long shots, 20, or set pieces, 20. So, that is probably quite real and I also have seen your your sledgehammer of a shot and I concur it is a good 19 uh, if not 20 and <laughs> as a coach or a manager uh, what would you be what's your 20 attribute as a coach or manager well firstly if you're going to ask my best attribute 
on on the playing side, I've got to give you my worst as well. So I'd probably go <laughs> place four. <laughs> it's, it's four. Is that acceleration or, or just pace? No, acceleration. I was quite sharp, but pace overall four. I was a glider. Oh, yeah, yeah. So so you're one of them quick burst ones. Acceleration, you know, late teens. Uh, pace four. What about coaching, managing, Lou? What what's your twenty? Um, I would say connection, connecting with the players. I think that's quite important. I think, I think we have to realise that they are footballers, but also they're all going to be people. And I think it's how we connect with people, which is the most important part. Amazing. And I'm sure we're going to go deeper into that later on. So that is your good 20 out of 20 attribute. It's probably not even on the game, uh, but we can put it in later as well as James's few stars. Uh, James, what's your what's your playing attribute? What's your 20? Uh, the 20, uh, most people would say just talking and annoying the heck out of people. But <laughs> just talking? So... <laughs> I did, I, most people would say you do more talking than you do playing. But, you know, if you talk well, you don't really, you know, you, it's, everything else is done for you. So but... your, your Robbie Savage rating of, of talking is 20. Yeah, I was once what? described. I was once described by a referee as a mosquito. <laughs> yeah, Robbie Savage rating twenty. <laughs> what about coaching, Jay? Uh, coaching, I'd go similar line as as Louis. There, I'd say slightly maybe uh, motivation, making sure that we understand the players and that, and they're correctly motivated in terms of as an individual. We know what they're looking for. We know what their aspirations are. We know what they're trying to achieve. And we know what and we know what drives them, so yeah, that that, that would be mine. And great then to, minds think alike. And great to agree, and to, and to agree with Louis, my, my speed would be maybe a four and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely quicker than you, James. <laughs> I've got a lot. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to have a race. We're going to have to have a race. Well, I, actually, I I used to run 100 meters for. I used to run 100 metres for the county, so my speed would be 20. Uh, it doesn't mean I, I could play at all. Uh, and my coaching, well, apparently my highest uh, value on the football manager game was fitness coaching, which was about 11. So that would be my 20 as well. Yeah, but in real life, uh, in real life, Louis, your home reputation is 75 and your current reputation is 105. My okay. home reputation is 14 and current reputation... 41. So I've got to be quite happy with that. Anyway, that's enough of uh, proving how good Louis is compared to everyone else <laughs> on Football Manager. And let's get into some really interesting stuff now. So, Lou, I'll start off. I just want to go into a little bit about your time at Watford. What was uh, the talent like at Watford coming through? And uh, how was it working with these guys? Yeah, Watford was a, a great place looking back. I'm, I'm forever grateful for all opportunities. Um, I was the under 15s, 16s head coach at the time on my first role there. And then, like any other club, I think there's always a mixed bag of players. You have people that are striving ahead. You have players that are coping and then you have some strugglers. Um, you know, I think the best thing for me at Watford was they changed my role to become an elite individual developer. Which made sense to me because if you think about it, if clubs are going to give a lot of money every month, uh, sorry, every year to the academy to run the programme, at some point you're going to have to produce something and give quality. Um, and I was looking at the numbers of how many players they produced over the last 10 years, 
who contributed by playing in the first team or did they contribute by generating revenue for the club? So I went to the, the academy manager at the time and said, look, if not everyone's going to make it and we produce these amount of players, just give me the five players. So I turned into like a, an elite individual developer and, and that role really, for me, um, made it really clear and highlight the difference between sport for all and sport for the elite. You know, anyone can play a game of football, but there's a difference between playing a game of football and contributing to a game of football. So it was how do you break that down? Because someone might have a, the team might lose 2-0, but actually little Billy's had the best game of his life. You know, or for instance, Matt, you know, you're, you're an 8 out of 10 player uh, and you drop to a 6 out of 10 one game, but you're still better than other players. But other players might be performing at a 7 out of 10, but, but you're still better than them on that day. But actually, you're performing under par, you're underachieving, when actually this other player is overachieving. So it really helped me identify what the individual is bringing to the party. Nice, nice. Yeah, so so, so interesting. And, and this is probably something which other clubs will benefit from uh, bringing in. I, I know some of them have kind of individual coaches as well for the players, but certainly allows for, uh, yeah, that, that one-on-one treatment as well, uh, which is going to improve... You know, on just like you said, on areas where where the players do need to improve, uh, especially technical wise, but even as a person, you know, uh, on a whole, yeah. people might might not be given the the attention that they need, and they might not be getting the most out of them on on the pitch or in training because they're not being looked after as a person as well. James, any any thoughts on that, mate? Sorry, sorry, Luke, go on. I was going to say that what I've just said sounds quite ruthless. It wasn't as ruthless as that because the club are a duty of care to maximise the player's potential. So every player had the physios, the sports scientists, the psychologists, they had all the love and attention they needed. They had a head coach and assistant coach. I would just kind of go in and be a little bit of a ghost and just silently work with these five players. Just Um, just tune up, tune, tune, little little tunings here and there. Yeah, so everyone, and obviously, especially in uh, development, you've got to realise that these five players, these you know, this elite group can change, you know, and, it, you know, it can change through maturation, uh, you know, school life or home life, something might have happened, you know, so it, I think it was important that we always reviewed the process. Uh, and I think one thing I really, I was really passionate about was the targets because players have a, a weekly target, they have a match target, they have a six week target, a, a season target. And I, I was thinking, well, if the best players have a target for themselves, so my, my, the five players, that their target was to do X. That would benefit their game. Then you've got the copers, the players you're not sure about. You're not sure if they're going to fade away or come good. So I was pushing to give them a target to develop themselves too. Uh, but with the strugglers, the players that are really fading away, and that sounds horrible, but that, that is the process, they don't need a target to help themselves. Give them a target to help the best player. So if James is a great number 10 you know, and his targets to score and create and play forward. Well, let's give the strugglers opportunities to find James. You know, can you play forward and find number 10? Can you find him? Can you, you know, if James gets on the ball, now he needs forward options. So it could be to your right winger, who's that struggling player, they're fading away. You know, every time someone gets the ball, show feet, show feet. But when James gets it, you must run in behind. So now James is our elite player. When James gets the ball, he's always guaranteed a forward passing option because he knows he's going to have two runners running and beyond the back line of the defence. So it's about linking the targets and tailoring it all around like a jigsaw puzzle cleverly towards the best players. 
James, what are your thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, that's a it's a really yeah really interesting concept. Really interested to hear it. First of all, thanks for calling me an elite player. That's the first time that's ever happened in my career, so that's good news. I'm already enjoying this <laughs> podcast. Uh, but uh, just to maybe go back to a little bit about the, the in the in that kind of academy situation where you were working with, as you say, the different the elite within the elite, uh, and we mentioned before about mot- motivation and getting to know the players. I guess that would have been one of your biggest parts of your roles and your role there and learning what was motivating those, you know, the cream at the top. What was it? Was there a common trait that was motivating them, uh, that, that was, you know, pushing them forward ahead of the other players or was it specifically their talent? It's a really good question. Um, I, I think I think it's the personal touch, giving them time and care. Um, I, I have a golden rule that when I work with any player, I think it's important you have to identify who you're working with because everyone's got different personalities. Everyone's made up of completely different DNA, everything. So you need to get to know who you're working with. And I think when, once you know who you're working with, you get to know their ambitions, their belief, how much courage they've got. Because in football, there are so many things we can measure. We can measure passes, GPS, shots, those things we can measure. But it's the things we can't measure which are most important, which is honesty, desire, resilience, courage. And I think the more you know the individual, the more you can gauge those sort of things. And then once you gauge those things and you have that rapport with the player, once you've connected, now you need to ask them the ultimate question, which is what is the dream? You know, what do they want to achieve? Do they want to play in a different position? Do they want to play for uh, one of Europe's top clubs, whatever it is. And then the key word in the next question is the word add. Because I was chatting to Matt earlier, I think it, c- it can be quite negative to use the word but. So I could say, James, well done, brilliant, you went past this player, you burst up the line, but. And I think as soon as you use the word but, that player's spirit and soul is gone and you're only talking to the body. And you see it on you know reality programmes like X Factor, Dancing on Ice, the coaches will give praise. And as soon as they say the word, but, all the audience start kicking off and getting on everyone's back. Whereas if I was to say, James, well done, you tracked back, got the ball for that player, went up the line, brilliant. And I've noticed something we can add to your game. Now you're invested in the conversation, you want to learn more. So add for me is a really important line. Uh, it's just a little spin on, I don't know, improving or whatever, but add is a key word. So that, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. It's like a, a psychological way that you, you're changing the conversation and ensuring that it remains remains positive, and it, removing the you know the, the negative language that we all try to we all try to do as coaches. Well, I, well hopefully all coaches try to do. I certainly try to do. And the, the difficulty that I find is is making that consistent element and ensuring that. You don't slip into the, as you say, the butts or don't do this or instead, instead of turning it into do this, do this, do this and, and, and keeping it positive. So just to, to carry on a little bit from there, Louis, when you're talking about, so we're talking about the motivation and, and how the players and, and the different qualities that they, they have in, to, to become the best footballer that they can be and be at that elite level. And I was, I was listening to a conversation, I think it was a, a Sky Sports conversation, I mean, you might have seen it, it was between uh, Jamie, Red, Jamie Redknapp, Jamie Carragher and Steven Gerrard. 
And they were talking about when Steve and Gerard first came in to the Liverpool first team training. And there was a couple of players came in for the training. And Steve and Gerard came in and Jamie Redknapp said immediately they noticed him because he came in and normally when the, the players come up from the youth team, they just play it simple, lay it off, give and go and, and carry on. But immediately Steve and Gerard got the ball and he, he basically hit a 40-yarder into somebody's feet and everybody just stopped and, stopped and looked and went, wow, well, that's special. And then a couple of minutes later, he went in and he had Paul Ince was on the ball and he just, he just belted him up in the air, apparently. Yeah. And, and they reminded Steve, they reminded, uh, Jane Rednap reminded Steve and Gerard of the training session. And he said the reason why he did that was because he ultimately knew that that was his one chance and he needed to move those players out of his position if he was ever going to get get to where he wants to go. Now, is that element always evident in the, in the, in the top five or, or, the, or the next five? Is it something that academies now currently in the UK that, that I think you used the word desire, but that kind of it's a kind of a ruthless trait. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna knock you off your perch because I need to get to where I want to go. Is is that evident or is 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 it is it lost? Well, I th- I think that's so true. I, I call it the ABC. So they, they one they need ambition, they need belief, and they need courage. And I think if they've got those ABCs, that just takes them to the promised land i think some people stay in their comfort zone but you can feel it immediately and again it comes back to the things you can't measure so you'll watch these players you're oh fantastic he can kick a ball 10 yards he can dribble in and out he doesn't lose the ball but in elite sport it comes to the crunch mm-hmm. and it's about who can have that moment uh, you know the big ronaldo messi question you know it's it, obviously they're two unbelievable players and we're so fortunate and lucky to have them at this time but if I was to answer that question for myself, if this was a league, I would want Messi. So I think the value he can provide for the team, you know, his intelligence, everything. He's just a wonderful player. But on the flip side, if it was Space Jam and the aliens come and we needed five players to save the world, <laughs> I'd want Ronaldo Because I know in one game, one moment, I know he will step up because he wants that opportunity. Um, yeah. You know, I've been talking to sorts of people about the 100 metres. And mm. uh, 100 meter world record funnily enough has only ever ever been broken at the olympics and the world games it's never been broken at any other athletics meeting and they say that the reason is is because you need that uh, adrenaline you need the fans you need the moment you need the spotlight and at that moment when the adrenaline kicks in unfortunately some people choke and some people get another 10 percent and that's why it's only ever yeah. been broken at those moments and i think yeah. we're trying to prepare players for when it comes to the crunch so even when we're working with strikers, Matty will know, I had Biro Biro in, um, in China, a wonderful Brazilian player, and was doing shooting practices all week, you know, 50 shots, 50 shots, and then we, we drew a game 2-2, and he had an opportunity to win the game. And it was the most simplest finish, and he missed it. And I was so infuriated because he's just scored 30 of them in training. Yeah. So what we did, we changed it, and he was really receptive. So we had three finishing sessions in a week. The first one was... You can have as many shots as you like. And we'll understand some will go in the top corner and some will go in the car park because the laws of probability. Then the next session was, okay, now, now you have to score five in a row. We won't leave training until you score five in a row. And if you got to four and missed, we were there to get that consistency, get that concentration, get that determination. 
And then the last one was you can only have as many shots as you had in the previous game. So if you had two moments to score, you would only get two moments on the Friday. Uh, so I thought that would challenge him. But actually what started to happen was he was having more shots in the game because he wanted more shots on a Friday. Laws of <laughs> started scoring more goals. So I guess there's no wrong or right answer, but that worked for him. And I yeah, think it was about good. these players to prepare themselves for when it comes to the crunch. Louis, yeah. just, just before we move on, uh, did any players at Watford, any youth players have uh, the ABC? Yeah. Um, I was really, really lucky uh, to work with Jaden Sancho. Um, I remember That's the first... Big, big capital ABC. Amazing. Yeah, he was good. Um, I mean, the first time I met him was in the summer of 2012, I think, or 2013. And, and what happened was, in the summer, a lot of academies have a reduced programme because, obviously, school holidays and people want to go on holidays with their families. So we had the age groups of 12 to 16 altogether. And at that time, Jaden was, uh, he would have been 13. And I'm a big believer in you've got a really special talent if, if a player plays in their own age group and they're excellent, that's brilliant. If they move up an age group, they've just got to be good. If they go up two age groups, they've got to survive, you know, because it's difficult. However, Jaden was 13, and out of a group of 12 to 16-year-olds, he was still the best player, and it was effortless. Uh, and it was such a joy to work with him. You know, he had ABCs in an abundance. He completely <laughs> believed himself. He was so resilient. You know, as you get older and you're a good player, you're in the spotlight. He didn't listen to what anyone said negatively. He just believed in himself. And you've got to look at him for his courage. He went from Watford, the south of England, to the north of England. And then he left from Manchester to go to Borussia Dortmund. And kind of, he's taken that jump and that leap to get to the promised land. He was kind of like a guinea pig. But now he's been successful. He's opened up a door for other players to do so. They've seen light at the end of the tunnel and he was an absolute joy. And, and one of the biggest questions I always get about him is, are you in contact? And I say, yes. And the next answer is, next question is, well, does he ever say thank you to you? And the answer is no. He doesn't need to say thank you. One, it was my job. I actually call him and I say thank you to him because although coaches are trying to develop players, secretly the players are developing coaches because if I didn't work with Jaden, there's no way, Matty, I would have been ha able to handle Davi Rodriguez and Biro Biro in China. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think everyone's learning and I'm forever grateful to him for what he's done for me. It's a great point, Lou. Great point. Just before we move on, can I add the third question? Is he going to go to United or is he going to go to Liverpool? <laughs> I don't know that question. However, I do just honestly your opinion, believe. Just your opinion. I, I, I'd love to see him back in England. I think yeah. it's actually a shame that some part of me inside upsets me a little bit that you've got this wealth of talent that's had to leave England mm. to go somewhere else and prove his his ability. You know, I think imagine that all the players are leaving now, and it'd be nice if they could all stay and all get that opportunity. But I, I, I would like to see him one hundred percent in the Premier League. And I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. He, he said to me at a very young age, he wanted to represent his country uh, and play for one of Europe's top clubs to make his family proud. That box has been ticked. And knowing his personality, that belief, courage and ambition, for sure, he's set himself another target. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Ballon d'Or is there. 
There you go. That's uh, fantastic. So, so moving on now from from the UK, um, the, the Hornets in in the rearview mirror. I know you both spent spent a lot spent time in China. You know that must have been a massive decision for you for you both to. Uh, did you both both go at the same time? Is that the right? Is that correct? No, I I was uh, just a, a little bit more, maybe a couple of couple of weeks uh, before the week came across. Uh, I was already in Asia and Philippines, so it was easier for me. I think that we had to get his his uh, visa and everything sorted out. So we'd already played a, a couple of games. So yeah, first of all, you know, massive decision to to go out to China. How 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 big? Obviously, it was a massive decision. What were your first impressions of when you first got to China? Was it your first time there, or how did it all? How did it feel? And did you know Matt, or did you guys meet when you were there, or? No, I, I met Matt when I was there. So I, I met uh, Gary White on the elite coaching license. You know, and I would advise any coaches, by the way, you know, you have to network, get on these courses. Um, you'll meet people, buy a round of drinks in the bar. I think that's where the, the most work is done. It comes back to people again, as we said earlier. I think Gary's offered me the position. I went out there and met Matt. And it was, it was different. Uh, China's a little bit different. I can't put down why it's different I don't know but at the same time it was the same because you're given a football pitch you're in a club environment you're given 24 players uh you're talking tactics you're coaching you have an individual meeting so is I think it you could pick that training ground up and put it anywhere in the world and it would have been the same I think the only major difference was probably the language and communication yeah that that make that makes sense uh, so I guess you are kind of shouted, aren't you? You're just in your own little bubble, your own environment. You've got accommodation there, you've got food there, you're with a team 24-7, basically. Uh, Lou, how, how difficult of a decision was it for you to obviously you uh, leave, leave the family and, and leave your home? You've you got two, two beautiful kids. How, how hard was it for you to actually make that decision to, to go out? Yeah, I... I can't lie here that it was um, it was a really difficult decision because at that time we were hand to mouth. So everything we are this month paid for next month and everything we are next month paid for that month. So we were, you know, moving along and then we get offered this contract in China. And at the time, the contract was um, if you lose three games in a row, you can get sacked with no compensation. So that was a difficult one because you wow. got that element of risk. Yeah. So then you've got your wife your two kids um we know how you know how hard it is you know when we get home from work the kid's been crying all day and you, your wife just goes you look after him <laughs> she can't do that though. <laughs> and and then the other one was it was my my dad um he, he wasn't too well at the time and uh, we had a great relationship he got me into football so he uh i remember him picking me up from school rushing back to watch world cups finishing football trainer, rushing back to watch Champions League games. And then he wasn't too well at the time. He had cancer. And I said to him, look, there's a contract there for me. I'll, I'll take it, if, but I'm happy to stay. And I said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And he said, no, you have to go. And I said, well, this might be the last time I see you again. And, and uh, it was, yeah, that time. So that, that, that was the, the personal challenges, I guess, for me. And it's not a competition, my challenge to get everyone else. I mean, everyone's got their own challenges they were just mine yeah i think uh sorry go on james yeah what i think it underlines there is you know 
is is the sacrifices that that you know as fo- as footballers and as, as football coaches and being and, and you know elite being involved in elite sport that everybody has to make and that and that was that's a re- that's a, a really difficult sacrifice but no sorry no but it's it adds if you didn't like that then you you probably never would have gone on to do the other fantastic things that you've done in your career or it might well have been significantly delayed if you hadn't made that sacrifice and I, I think that goes back to the what we were talking about before the players the coaches everybody involved if, if you're willing to make difficult decisions and difficult sacrifices you're more likely to get to where you're going I think that's just my outlook on it yeah so so not only is it is it one thing to to leave your family but uh, you know it's tough for anyone moving away from their family even if it's just another location in the country where you all live uh, but to a complete different country and then to to lose a family member whilst you're away it's it's tough and like you said, Lou, it's not a competition. Oh, my my challenge is greater than this, or that's more difficult than someone else's challenge. But that is the reality. Is as harsh as it sounds, that is the reality of really what coaches have got to be ready for and willing to do. And as James said, it is about sacrifice. And uh, my, I've got no shame in saying it. I mean, work working away from home from my family has cost me my my marriage basically. Uh, and I didn't plan for that to happen, but that's a kind of sacrifice or, or a, a decision or choice I've made. And I'm, I'm not quite sure that coaches who, who like the idea of being a professional coach actually understand. And this isn't saying that they will never be one or you need something bad to happen to you and you've got to make a choice to be a professional coach. You don't. But there may be a point where you have to make a really difficult decision uh, for the, the greater good. And it's kind of on the scale of zero to 10, where zero, you're not willing to sacrifice or be flexible whatsoever, will probably represent how well your career will go. But then if the closer to 10 it gets, uh, the more willing or flexible you are able to be closer to that 10, then there's going to be more opportunities. And it doesn't make it right or wrong, but sacrifice is a huge part that every coach has to pay dividends due at some point in the career. And uh, I think everyone's got to really be ready for that in, in the future. So, Lou, fa- thanks for sharing that, mate. And uh, no, it's a, a huge point for, for people to take away. And, and on that point as well, just going back to what Louis said about the contract, about losing three games in a row when you're out. Lou, just, uh, just explain to everyone what situation you walked into when... Your, so your first game, I think you was watching in the stand away in in, in a Mongolia, in a Mongol, and uh, you sat there in the stand. We're losing. We score a ninety-second minute equaliser, and then because the referee was crooked, he cancelled it out, and then you just saw all of us running down the line to attack the officials. What was your think? I bet you thought, "Crikey, that's three games gone already." You know, I've just left my wife and kids. My dad's not well. I landed in China on the Thursday. Um, jet lag wasn't a problem. You know, you just commit to the course and go. And then we had to fly to a place called Inner Mongolia. Um, and, and then we lost that game. Uh, was it 2-1, mate? We missed yeah, out the two, yeah, 2-1. Yeah, it would have been 2 all. They're all run, rushing down the touchline. You know, and there's, there, was, there must have been a thousand police at this game, all with machine guns. And then suddenly they're running down the touchline um, and all the police smother around. I was like, oh, God, what have I got myself in for? 
And then, you know, and I'm a believer in when you analyse the game back, you know, I think you can get caught a bit too caught up in the game. Like this happened, that happened, and some things just happened. I like to debrief the game emotionally and how players feel. And I think a lot of players felt how Matty felt, whether they or not. I'm not one to talk about that, but I think it's important to repair that side of things emotionally. Um, but it was a difficult time. And then we lost our second game. And oh. then uh, <laughs> I was thinking... So that, that's two like, down. That's two out of three. Month to month. I've left my wife. You know what? I might see my dad again, yeah. <laughs> anyway, and then the, the third game come. The, the third game come. And I, I remember doing a stadium session, uh, me, Gary and Matt. And we was doing 11 v 11. And I was coaching this game in the stadium the day before the game. And suddenly the big boss turns up. He looked like he was wearing a, a, a non-ironed white T-shirt, spliffy jeans and a gold chain. Anyway, <laughs> this whistle blows. We all come over and uh, he just starts talking Chinese to the players. And to this day, I really don't know what he said. But the next day, we went out and won 5-0. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I have no idea what he says. I don't want to know what he said. <laughs> well, the, the funniest thing, Lou, well, or not funny, was... I was thinking, great, like you, oh, third, third loss in a row coming up, is it? I'm on the way back. I'm going to look like a fool. But then I thought, at least I've been here a little bit longer than Lou, so I've got, a couple of, I've got one win bonus behind me. <laughs> Lou's going to be on his way back already. <laughs> but you know, that, that, was a difficult, that was a difficult time, James, because we just joined the club. You know, Gary did amazing, really, in the sense that you, we picked up a club that were bottom of the league. The transfer windows just finished. They're all completely deflated. Uh, and I think when we come in, we, we just spiced it up a little bit. And I think it was fresh. And, you know, we got them out of this sinking ship. And then we won a game. And then we won another one. And then the training was vibrant. And, you know, I think the players were really receptive. It, it was difficult because of the, the culture. And I thought we, we were breaking down the culture and getting to know them as people, which is which sounds quite easy. But you've got to remember, there was no... Mandarin from our side and there was no English from their side this was all through another person you would tell someone else and they would tell them and as soon as you give the information to the translator you have no idea what he is telling the player yeah and that, that that is huge and that's what a lot of people forget or coaches forget that when you you have to place so much trust in that translator be that you know, it depends where you are. Like, I don't know the foreign players you had at that time, unless you've got a, uh, a foreigner in or an international player who can speak local language, or you've got, as you said, you didn't have any of the local players who could speak any English. You really could be that that translator could be 100% hijacking you, and it's so difficult. And did did the translate? Could you look at him and go, "Yeah, I trust you," or did he did he give you that sense that he was trustworthy? Well, the translator was really good. I'm, I remember me and Matty, we, we were doing presentations. Um, and I remember we would have a few lessons with the translator to say, look, this is, this is the presentation. This is what we're going to show. Um, and it's important that when we say it, you say it in the same way, same point, in same mannerism, same tone, same rhythm. Because Matty might say to them, oh, this isn't good enough. You know, you know we, we've got to win the first balls, win the second balls. You must run forward. You must run back with a bit of passion and and tone to his voice, and then the translator might just say, look, everyone, what he's saying is, is you know, and it just completely kills it. So uh, that, that, that was difficult, but I'd like to think that was getting stronger and stronger. And, you know, I remember, you know, like 
Matty's Mandarin is on another level. He'll never admit it, but he, he's very good. But I, was, I was picking up a few words. I remember after about the fifth session, the translator come up to me and he said, Louis, uh, the players have had a little chat and um, they don't want you to try and speak Mandarin. I said, why? I said, he's showing effort. And, you know, and he said, no, that, they said, you, you either know it, you don't, and they don't want you to talk. <laughs> now, I, don't, I don't know if that was true because my Mandarin was getting stronger or it was a, a self-protection mechanism because the translator was becoming redundant. And I'll never know the answer. Never know. So, Matt, is your Mandarin any good? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can, I can get by all right. But it's still like a child. And I know, I know all the basic needs to survive, but it needs to be better. I've been around for eight years now, and I'm still talking like a child in English and Mandarin, like a child. <laughs> So, guys, just go. So, yeah, yeah. Room, room, room for improvement. Room for improvement. <laughs> I just, I just That's opened fine. a new bank account today. It took me four hours on my own. <laughs> and that was that in English or Mandarin? <laughs> <laughs> Both. Yeah. Uh, just before I want to ask just a couple more questions about the, the the China role because I know a lot of the listeners are going to be thinking they want to know more. Because like the team that you went into, as you say, to a bottom of the league, the transfer window had just closed. So you, you guys had no opportunity to affect the players that you were working with. You, you literally went in at the end of the transfer window. Is that right? Uh, uh, yeah, Gary White went in. Well, Matty was there. He went in two weeks before me. I think the transfer window had closed, the bottom of the league. And they're a Super League club now playing in League One. Uh they demand more so um we went in we turned it around and we i think we finished eighth or ninth in the end out of 16 yeah, what nine, was nine nine points off the promotion in the end i think something like that what obviously we all know the challenges of going in and inheriting players that aren't yours what 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 was the obviously the momentum's a huge thing you said you got the win you got the next win but was there a specific moment where you knew what you had to do? Did you have to break down a barrier? Was there a, was there a niche like the, was there, was it cliquey between the foreigners and the locals? Was there anything that you did specifically that you went right? Yeah, we've got it. We we've we've done that and we've broken something down and we and we're going to be able to move forward here. Yeah, I I remember um, I remember the word sacrifice actually, and I remember that Gary White pulled us all in in this room. Because we had two Brazilians, one Nigerian, we had English coaches, a Spanish goalkeeper coach. We had so many nationalities and diversity in the room. We had the Chinese players. And he said, look, you know, until we come together as a team, we're not going to achieve anything. We all have to come together. We've, and then he highlighted a few sacrifices. said, look, we've all made sacrifices. And, um, you know, he's spoken about my dad, some of the players, you know, missing their families in Brazil, you know, the, the Chinese players and... And it, I felt I felt a real sense of something there. And then I think when we went out, I think I think um, I don't know if it was instinct or whatever, but I'm a big believer in in not talking to the person, but talking to the person that fell in love with the game. So you wouldn't like you know some of the players, you got to reach deep into their soul because there's a kid in there that fell in love with football. And I think as they get older, football can become more like of a chore, not a hobby. You know, they've got to do a certain bit of coaching. They've got to do this, passing in pairs, and they fall out a bit of love out of the game. So we made it as fun as impossible. So every training session was like Disneyland. They, they, they were disappointed to go home because training finished, and they couldn't wait to come back for the next day. And I think that's what changed. And then 
because it was so fun, you could disguise a lot of things. Like they were getting so much fitter because they were running more, but they're actually playing football. So it was all disguised. And suddenly the, the camaraderie started coming together. It was competitive. You know, players were high-fiving. And suddenly we just started a little avalanche, which started to progress and progress and progress. And ultimately, you know, it turned out we, we did a great job. Yeah, that's fascinating. That, that togetherness that just moves you forward and getting everybody on the same bus and mm. driving in the right, I know, you know using the, uh, driving in the right direction, but it is as simple as that. If you can, if you can bind everybody on a common, common theme, then that will make a big difference, a huge difference. And a lot of coaches out there need to, to make sure they do that if it's the first thing they do when they get into the job, figure out what's going to unite everybody. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, smashing. One of the one of the biggest things I noticed about the, the football out in China was was one was the culture. Players love to be told what to do. Uh, it's more like a PlayStation. All their life, they've had a coach telling them exactly what to do. You must pass here. You must run there. And I think I think players out there didn't really think for themselves. And actually, it's a fine line because if players then fail and you've told them what to do, they can just turn around and say it was him. So we tried to. Sh- shift a little bit of the accountability and responsibility back onto the player you know and all the possession drills for instance that technically they're incredible players but isolated practices that some of the best I've seen but when it comes about decisions and a skill-based program they were they couldn't do it they didn't they couldn't function to make the decisions and and also a lot of the the possession games were non-directional so they didn't know how to play away from pressure there was no target goal area so we didn't really, all the possession we had was like possession for possession's sake. We was never asking questions of the opposition. No one knew how to unlock a defence. And we really focused and spent a lot of time on forward play. So, so what you did was you brought the, the methods that you know worked from your time, like obviously from an academy point of view, and then you brought them over to, to the team and, and basically changed the way that they trained to get the results moving forward. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, in the Premier League, for instance, you know, um, a lot of the games are quite close, you know, or Newcastle will have to fly down maybe to London or get the train. But in China, every game's like a Champions League game because one, one game was five and a half hours when it got you on the plane and you're still in China. So, and then when you fly back, uh, you know, it can affect your weekly schedule. You might not get those four training sessions. You might get three or whatever. So I think it really helped us to become efficient with our coaching. We didn't have any dead sessions. We couldn't waste time. Uh, you know, we did really well in splitting up in groups and coming together. Uh, Gary was big like that. You know, he'll take a group. Matty had a group. I had a group. So we were like three bits of the jigsaw. The goalkeeper had his group. And then what we'll do, we pull it all together. And then we'll just refine the shape of these pieces to make them fit. But a lot of the focus was on, you know, uh, changing their habits a little bit, just playing more football. If you want people to be better at making decisions, you have to give them decisions to make. And, and the isolated practices weren't working. They could do them with their eyes closed, but they couldn't. That's why I, I'm a big believer in the game. There's not much technique. It's all skill. Like my technique is, is quite good. The Chinese players is quite good but they can't perform that technique with a decision which makes it a skill. That was where the problem was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Matt, carry on. 
No, I, I was just going to, I was just going to nip in there and say, uh, you know, not just because Louis is here, but for a coach myself, my my learning increased tenfold just working with, working around Louis, working around Gary, both pro licenses, uh, both with some good experience behind them, and uh, one massive thing I I picked up from Louis is how he worked. One on one with players, it might be the shooting, it might be their their uh, movement off the ball, it, basic things like even uh, the strikers shielding the ball. You know, I learned not to not to hold defenders off, back facing. You know, stand side on, keep them arms arms length distance. Little things like this, which uh, you know you can't pick up from a, a, your your coaching licenses. I was able to take away from that massively for myself, and uh, that's obviously a lot of work. Louis was doing uh, in in Watford as well, and, and you, it really does make a difference to the players, and they all increase that that little bit extra to the game, whether it be shooting, whether it be uh, hitting diags, whether it be uh, passing and moving into space from the ball. It, it, it was amazing to to learn from a coach's uh, perspective as well, uh, and just a, a a little quick plug because it, it's quite uh, fitting. Uh, Louis also got a, a book out, 51v1 and 2v2 practices. So if anyone is interested, I would highly recommend it because you can literally use them, not just as a stocking filler, a, a time filler, but they are so effective. You need to get on it. Uh, I'll put a link in the post for everyone to use this as well. Uh, and I would certainly recommend it. So James, if you want to increase your, your shooting uh, from a, a 12 to a 20, then you can uh, give the book a little go. I, th- I think it might be a bit late for me, mate. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely try it on the players. Uh, my shooting, all the power, <laughs> all the power's gone in the legs now. It's basically p rollers back to the keeper. Hey, do you remember I remember thinking, right, I've got to tap into this guy. So I remember I took my mobile phone to the training session, um, and at the end, when you're doing free kicks, I thought, right, you know, we had a lovely yeah. stand there, you know, yeah. the stadium, the guy grass was beautiful the temperature was just right we had an evening session lights were on pitch was a bit greasy and I put 20 balls down there and I said right let's have some free kicks and I, I stood behind him and I videoed it on my iPhone and in my head I wanted to talk about a bit of technique you know make him feel a little bit special give him a little bit of love so he, he hit this free kick and it's I know it's gone way up in the stand somewhere so I showed him the video and I was gonna go on look why don't you just twist your hips you know plant your foot you know blah, blah. And then the next free kick went in the top corner. And I thought, bloody hell, that was good. But actually, all he was interested in was the video. And as soon as that, he said, can you send that to my Instagram? He, he wanted me to send the video so he could pull it out and show the world how good he was. And then and next, suddenly, the next free kick went in and the next one. And then what happened is the keeper started up in his game. And it was all about who could get that clip, that magic moment clip for their Instagram and their social media. So every now and then I'll just bring the phone out and it just helped me bring a rapport. It put more of a challenge on the training, you know, so it's just a nice little spin, which I, which I didn't anticipate for. It just happened naturally, organically. So little one percenters that you, you gain that and gain that knowledge just by trying something, not even necessarily you were trying it, but gave you a little, gave the player a little bit extra just happened that's coaching you, you watch yeah, everyone everyone's gonna have the tripods up now with their iphone out it's gonna be all over <laughs> social media whilst coaches are pulling themselves away from doing podcasts they're going to be uh, starting to film the players 
So, Lou, with, with your great experience uh, in China behind you, you then moved on to uh, my beloved Taiwan. Absolutely love my country. Uh, as assistant manager of the national team, and you later went on to become uh, the head coach of, of Taiwan. So how how can you, if you can put it into words, how does it feel to actually represent and, and lead a country, especially as a, a football coach? Yeah, that is that is something that I'm... Me, me, my family are extremely proud of. That was, I guess what's proud is, you know, for Taiwan, give me the opportunity to be part of their history. You know, that's something that won't change now. And that's something I'll, I'll remember forever and cherish. Proud, proud moments. Mm. Are you still there, James? Sorry, no, just mute. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I thought you can't. Sorry, mate. I was on mute. Uh, so, <laughs> Lee, so when you were coming over from, did you go directly from China into the Taiwan role or was there a break in between or, or how, how was that? No, there was a break. So I went from China, was home for about 10 months and then Gary got the job in Taiwan, uh, got the call, off we went and uh, Gary moved on and then, you know, I applied for uh, the job in Taiwan. And what, obviously, the, probably one of the, the big thing that coaches out there, all levels are, are thinking, obviously, assistant, head coach, what's the big difference between, between the two roles? Um, you know, help you know, the listeners to understand the expectations, the way you behave, the, what you offer. Like what, just give us an insight. I think when, when I was the assistant working for Gary, I think any assistant, their job is to help the manager in any capacity that's needed and there's two there's like two roads one is the job description road which is can you coach can you analyze you know can you be that play that good cop bad cop when the, with the manager but then there's the unwritten rule that road which is you know if the manager calls you at two in the morning because there's something on his mind about tactics you know you need to go and see him or you know it might be a late night you might not sleep till one o'clock at night um you know there's a lot of trade-offs and i think i don't think people uh, I don't think the, that road is clear enough, but it's about the unmeasurable things. Um, yeah. So that was one. And then I think when I moved into head coach, I think I appreciate what the head coach has to go through more because I, I, I like to be creative with my coaching. Uh, I'm a grass coach. I, that's where I'm, I'm at my best. However, a lot of my creative thinking time was taken up with media, managing up meetings, uh, you know, and then you've got a, fly somewhere to China to watch this player and then that player and then that player. And I know that's really, really important. Um, and I think I didn't appreciate what a manager potentially has to go through when I was an assistant, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess, as you say, though, those expectations on your time uh, in terms of, you know, find, looking at the players constantly, reviewing the players that you have in the squad. How... Um, how difficult was that in terms of how widespread are the, the Taiwanese international footballers? How, 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 how difficult was it to keep a tab on all the players? Yeah, well, I've actually written down here a, a few challenges that I faced in Taiwan. So one of them was the media. Um, so the, the, I guess that's not just for Taiwan, that's all countries. So I remember, I remember listening to, um, who's the technical director in who was it before uh, Dan Dan Ashworth? I remember listening to him speak, and he was revealing a few golden nuggets what Gareth Southgate did. And I, I was thinking about it in depth, and I was thinking, well, 
the reason the media gets so angry is because they want a story. They need something to write. And if you if you push them away, then they haven't got a story. They can't put something in the paper. Therefore, they won't get paid. Therefore, they can't feed their family. So uh, it's better to get the truth out there. So every camp, we just invited the media in, what Gareth Southgate did. And that, that for me, was just brilliant and priceless because... I would then open up and talk to them and say, look, this is the vision. This is what we're trying to achieve. This is what you can expect for the next two games. And you can disarm them as well. So they might have some questions. I know, oh, we heard Matt Ward is injured or whatever. You can disarm that question straight away and say, I can confirm Matt Ward won't be playing the next two games. And then what would happen is after that two minutes I speak, then they have um, they have like an hour to go go around like a party really and talk to anybody they want, any player. And I would just prep the players. So I would say, look, you're going to get an easy question, which is how are you? Just tell them how you are. Then you'll get a question the other end of the scale, which you don't have to answer because I felt that if you put a microphone in someone, they feel obliged to answer. Where if they ask you something in your personal life, you can just say I'm here to talk football. So we just prep the players a little bit on that. And then you'll get the questions in between and the media will try and catch you out. So it's like, you know, uh, James, you're obviously a better player than Matt, but were you upset that Matt started ahead of you in the game? You know, and then <laughs> and I, I remember I, I plucked out some really difficult, challenging questions and I, uh, the players in the meeting before had to stand up and deal with them. And one of the players went to that question. He said, look, we're all great players. We should all start. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the questions were kind of similar. And then one player, I will never mention his name, but he stood up and I said to him, uh, do you feel responsible for not threading someone through to win us that game? Uh, and he said, no, I'm young. Uh, I'm developing. I have a great relationship with the coach. I want to improve and give my best for the country. And in my head, I'm thinking, what a fantastic answer. Yeah, now yeah. sit down. And then he went, but you have to understand other people miss chances in that game too. Throw them under the bus. Throw them under. Lee, what so were we, some of the uh, other challenges you, you faced in, in Taiwan? Uh, other challenges was communication, probably the biggest one. And I don't mean language. I mean responsibility. Uh, uh, in my opinion, Taiwan are the best people in the world at playing the yes-no game. You know, I could say, is that flight booked? They'll say, I think so. And I'll say, look, just say yes or no. Is it booked? They say, I think so. I say, is the flight booked? Let me check. Uh, is the flight booked? I, let me check with Matt. I think he was doing it. And I think what happened was there was no structure. So I set up this spinning wheel and I, I drew a wheel. I got all the team in. I said, look, there's no hierarchy here. Uh, here's a, a bicycle wheel. I'm pigeoned in the middle and every one of you is a spoke. So we had a, a logistics guy. So if we're playing home or away, he does the visas, the travel, the hotels, all the logistics. Uh, someone else did the kit. Someone else did this. Someone else did this. And then they were completely responsible for their spoke. So uh, we had a guy called Tim who was fantastic. He was responsible for logistics. If he needed help, he could come and see Matt, who was doing the kit, for instance. They could help each other, but if, that, if there was a problem with a spoke, it would ultimately lie with that person. If they can't make a decision, they would come to me. It could be the hotel was a little bit more money funding-wise, so they would come to me, and then I would go to the boss. I would go to the general manager and say, Tim is experiencing difficulties yeah. in this. So it was a clear communication uh, pathway, and that, that helped us absolutely no end whatsoever. That was, that was the best thing. 
So really underlining the accountability, the responsibility. So everybody, the strands were clear. Everybody knew. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a fantastic was, analogy to give coaches. Really, really good tips. No, no hiding place whatsoever. And it was, and you know, and if they had the problem, as I said, they could just come and see me. It would be honest. And then I would find out, I'd give them the answer. Because what would happen is I didn't like it when people in the wheel uh, on the spoke would miss me out, go to the GM, I wasn't included. Yeah. You know, and then if your spoke wasn't right, which you're accountable for, you would then start blaming Matt. No, Matt can help you, but the responsibility lies with you. And they loved it, actually, because they all started doing good jobs. Productivity went up. I think it was clear. I think before they were actually non-productive because they were all stepping over each other each other's toes and assuming someone else would do the work yeah. uh, so, so that that was one thing um another challenge was the coaching culture again you know i spent a lot of time going around schools and you know i'm quite passionate i was passionate about developing the future of taiwan football i went around it was it was similar to china in the sense that you know the coach shouts at people they do as they're told uh, players aren't allowed to ask questions because it's undermining the coach non-directional training drills um so that was part of the problem. And I think, I think uh, look, there was many challenges, but one of the big challenges was uh, international football is completely different to club football. In club football, you have all these players, uh, you know, you've got them every day. So you're building the rapport of them every day and every day you're building and building on your principles of play. Whereas in international football, you've got 10 days with 16 play- uh, 24 players and these 24 players play for 16 different clubs. So that's 16 different managers, 16 different philosophies, schedules, uh, training methods. Uh, your right back might play striker for his club. And yeah. it, that, that was a challenge. But Taiwan's biggest challenge, I think, is the native player. I, um, I won't be afraid to say that. That in China, they're allowed three foreign players and they're allowed one native player. And that's a player from either Hong Kong, Macau or Taiwan. And... Uh, we've they had a few players playing in Taiwan uh, from Taiwan playing in in Hong Kong, but they wouldn't come back and represent the country. But however, they were only allowed to play in Taiwan because of uh, they were only allowed to play in China because they had a Taiwan passport. So my argument was, well, they're getting this glorious opportunity to play in the Super League with a wealth of players. It's financially incredible for them. And they're only allowed that opportunity because of the Taiwan passport, but they're not yeah. willing to come back and represent Taiwan. And I have to try and break down some barriers there. And I, I think that's, that's always going to happen. And until they sort that out, that they won't move that, forward. That, that's, a great, that's a great point, Louis, because it's, yeah, that, that's a great point, mate, because basically uh, certain players can only play in the Super League, like in the Chinese Super League, like Louis said, if they have a Taiwan passport or a Hong Kong passport or a Macau passport. So as soon as they got access to their club, uh, they wasn't interested in representing their country, which was Taiwan again, which is just a kick in the teeth to to everyone really. So, I know, mate. Uh, I know at times you you know you you couldn't get your best team out there uh, when you needed them just because of these little political games going on. And from from my view, I, I've been watching Taiwan for eight years now. And uh, uh, again, I'm not just saying it because you're here, but it's the first time I could see a real style of play. Uh, in the football and it was actually building up to something it was being developed and you could see it growing all the way through and it's not just me uh, I, I talked to many other people who have the same opinion but then it's that that balance that strike where 
people want quick results, but also they want you to develop the country. So, well, at one, you, you, you can't win instantly if you are trying to develop a winning uh, a winning recipe, a winning formula, if you're trying to develop the football to then win longer term. Uh, but unfortunately, I think Taiwan got ahead of themselves again and they expected uh, Taiwan to start beating teams like Kuwait, uh, etc., which, you know, isn't really going to happen too often. Look, it was an incredible opportunity and one for, I'm eternally grateful for. Uh, the, the players were excellent. We created an environment where they could explore, grow and be creative. And, you know, we set some principles which were non-negotiable and they had the framework and creativity to work within those principles. Um, would I do anything different? No, I don't think I would. I, I gave everything I could and the players were receptive, but it, it was just difficult in the sense it was a World Cup year. You know, I've always said to the players, look, I want to, I would love people, I'd love to change our kit and play and then people would I still identify us as Taiwan because we had a certain style. So if Man City or Liverpool change their colour top and they wear pink, you yeah. could still say, oh, that's Liverpool. And I don't think there's many teams in the world you could actually do that with at the moment. You know, Bournemouth, you can, um, Sheffield United, Burnley, uh, Man City, you know, but outside that realm, there's potentially not too many. And I think we were just starting to develop this style. However, it was a World Cup year and, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, in the top end of football, you have to win. Simple. Yeah, the, but yeah, yeah that, that, that is true. Yeah, that is true. And, and you know, in a professional level, in many areas, winning, winning is a must. I mean, for me, the most evident match was when you beat Hong Kong, the first time in history Taiwan's ever beaten Hong Kong. Uh, and I sat there watching it. Uh, Mr. Pathalainen, the ex uh, Bolton Wanderers striker, was was their head coach, and uh, uh, you guys just played Hong Kong off the park. And you could see, you could see the pressing, you could see the pressing traps, you could see the organisation, you could see, uh, you could see the units working for each other. It was brilliant to see, and uh, yeah, that that could have been a turning point. But sad to see you go, mate, at the end. But thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is football. This is football. Uh, just quick question: You're talking uh, about the the difficulties in Taiwan. Um, how is how does the quality of the the local league uh, affect the ability for you to really build players, or are players in in the Taiwanese league are they are they a big part of the national setup, or you know, from from an outsider's point of view? Yeah, it's another challenge actually. So. I think with, with the league, it's um, again it comes back to their coaching. Uh, I've I will always be grateful for for the Premier League players because it was a semi-professional league. All the managers allowed me to have the players for a, a week early in the international window, so that yeah. that was yeah. so we had a bit more time. Uh, but the problem is the the players weren't fit enough. The, the, they're, they're playing through. I don't know. I think people in England potentially underestimate the weather in Asia. I mean, yeah. you know, it can get really, really hot. And they're having kickoff times at like two o'clock in the afternoon instead of seven o'clock in the evening. Um, Brutal. And that, that is, so they can't get any intensity to their play. Um, you know, that, that, that is difficult. That's a challenge. And is there, and Matt, is my, a question for you now, you're in Taiwan. Is there, is there any possibility that the league format's going to change? Is it going to become professional? Is there any, any motivation? What you know? What is the what is the situation like? Taiwan's a Taiwan's a fantastic country. It's 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 highly developed. Why is there not a well, professional football league? 
Well, well, well. Currently, uh, even even uh, since Louis left, they've more teams have got more money now, more sponsorship. So, for example, the two highest scoring strikers who were both foreigners last season have now moved to the same team, Tainan, uh, because Tainan have got a bigger wage budget now. So now the money's increased for players, uh, but you're still left in a weak league with weak teams, almost going from an amateur team to a uh, touching on an, an all right semi professional with some good professional players. Uh, but as Louis mentioned, it, it's really the, the balance and the mixture, it, it's really tough. And a lot of it comes down to, uh, you know, th- this is me being cynical because I'm, I'm, I'm not kind of involved uh, with, with coaching in there right now or, or their national team. Uh, it comes down to the money going in the wrong areas or people not wanting to lose their... Uh, they're comfortable jobs. Now, there are good people working in the in the Taiwan uh, football, uh, the CTFA, uh, the local football association, good people, but they're not really wanting to go too much out on a limb to improve things because it might put their job in jeopardy. And uh, Taiwan's been suffering for about 20 years with this. And as soon as there's some positives come in it kind of gets brushed under the carpet again and back to square one just like sponsorship just like media deals and and whatnot um so i i don't know little steps do continue but it, it's it's certainly tough for for coaches like louis who comes in with that kind of talent pool to choose from uh it, it's not an easy situation at all i think another i think another challenge that this is this is quite common for other countries is that Football isn't their number one sport. And the sports that they are, are number one out there is their basketball and their baseball. And yeah. I think yeah. what's difficult for people, it will take time, is that in, in the basketball games, there's a basket scored every 24 point something seconds. So that means every 24 point something seconds, there's a buzz, there's a little bit of electricity in the game, something to cheer about or something to moan about. And I think in baseball, I think there's something like, you're guaranteed 300-odd pitches per game. So that's 300 moments of buzz and excitement. And I think football can go 90 minutes and it'll be nil-nil. Nothing's happened. And I think that takes time because if you're going 24 seconds of buzz and 300 pitches of buzzing moments to nothing for 90 minutes, I think that will take time to develop. Yeah, the concept concept of what it actually means uh, Mm. is still uh, some time off for sure. That's interesting. That is really, that is yeah, a really interesting outlook. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that explains it a little bit, a little bit further. But you're, you're always going to be up against it. If you haven't got a professional league where the players are, are training full time and they're not getting pushed by, as, as Matt said, you've got like a fantastic team and then teams who are, who aren't, who are basically amateur teams to develop the local talent, the local players who can play at international level. It's an absolute fantastic. To, to get any kind of team out on the on the field who can who can compete at international level, that's that's it's an amazing achievement. Oh, I forgot they they have now for the first time ever now officialized uh, a division two. So now there is a second tier officially. Okay. So I I won I won the league when it was unofficial, so it probably doesn't count. <laughs> but we also got promoted through the playoffs to the Premier League as well. So now there's actually a two-tier league system. Okay. So we'll, we'll see how long that lasts and how long it goes. Positive step, but uh, they're going to need more than five teams, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Slightly off topic, but I think people would be interested to know. So I just, yeah, I think it's, yeah, well, it's interesting. That, James, 
I think you've got to look at the level of enjoyment. Like my son is six years of age and he loves football, absolutely loves it. He watches it on the TV and he just, he just doesn't want to go to bed. Can I stay up and watch the second half? When I play with him in the garden, you know, it's dad versus son. He has a great time and he loves it. But when he goes to football coaching and he's got to stand with a partner and just kick the ball back and forth, you know, kids say it just black and white, don't they? We'll get in the car and he says, Daddy, that wasn't football. That was passing. I didn't sign up for that. And I get that. I understand what he's saying. And I, and I think with the culture of telling people what to do all the time and, and, you know, constantly being in control and dictating, these kids might be the same. They watch football on the TV, they fall in love with it. And when they go, they don't want to turn back up again. And I, I pride myself on every session like Disneyland. They have to want to come back. And they've got to leave disappointed that that session is over. And they cannot wait to get back to the next one. I think that's a fantastic phrase that you've coined there. And, you know, to, to, to any advice to youth coaches, make your sessions like Disneyland. That, that, is, that gives a real image for, for any youth coach out there to, who's working with young players, whatever level. Make it so much fun, as you said, so they will come back here. Yeah, if anyone's listening, take that one, put it in your locker. Make sure you're, you abide by it. I love that. I really do. I'll certainly, I'll certainly be copying. So you know, don't be giving me any hassle when it comes out a few times. <laughs> yeah, but James, uh, there is also adult Disneyland. Is it Vegas? I, I don't know, Macau, Vegas. So we can. Uh, well, we, we I'm can... not sure about Macau, but Vegas is all right. Yeah, Macau's pretty decent as well. <laughs> <laughs> James, you think about right. Kids, I relate everything back to kids. They have the best souls ever. They just want to have fun. If they don't have fun, they're not interested. Same with adults. Kids ask questions all the time. Why, daddy? Why, daddy? Why, 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 why? But when these kids turn into grown-ups, coaches don't like the players asking them questions. Mm. All, all kids love a challenge. You know, they'll, they'll, We remember when we were kids in our Super Nintendos, we were, we were playing Mario Brothers, wherever it was, and we would miss dinner. We would tell our mum and dad we're asleep, wake up at two in the morning, put the computer on, and we were investing so much time to complete this game. And the reason we were so invested in completing this game is because it provided a challenge. But once we completed that game, we never played it again because the game can no longer help us. And I think the best players want to be challenged. And I think as a coach, our job is to be a game to the player which has infinite levels. Because if the player completes you, you're finished. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. And again, what some fantastic nuggets for all the coaches out there. Make sure you set the levels. Make sure you challenge people. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah, great imagery. Great, great, easy to understand. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, Louis, love it, love it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a absolutely, I I concur. And uh, before we have to say cheerio, uh, Lou, just fill us in what what you're doing now before we go. Apart from being in, in quarantine, lockdown or whatever, but what, what's in place? Uh, well, I've, I've just, uh, I'm on my way to America. Uh, not yet, obviously, but once this pandemic finishes, I'll be the assistant coach of Utah Royals, which is a, a fantastic opportunity. I've said all along, I've had to make sacrifices where I've had a dream job, but not my family. When I, although the other way around, I've had my family, not the job. So this is the perfect opportunity where I will have the job and I'll have the family and we'll, we're all going to make the plunge together. So, oh, uh, no, it's an exciting time. Yeah. 
Brilliant, mate. So Utah Royals, uh, they are, if I'm correct, they are uh, women's top tier in yes, USA. Yeah. Yep. Which, which has got to be a massive, massive standard because a women's game there is mega. Yeah, they've got three or four World Cup winners, three gold, oh. Olympic gold medalists. And, but I think, you know, already this is a difficult time. And I think, you know, how you approach this time is, is uh, sensitive because obviously this is a unique time for everyone, a pandemic. And I think people will handle it in different ways. And I think it's really eager to call players up and tell them tactics and tell them what to do. And I actually remember going back earlier, they're not, they're not footballers, they're people and they're managing this in their own way. And I'm just get, using this time to get to know the players um, as people. And actually the coaching staff, we've covered the whole holistic approach because the other assistant coach, Amy, she's fantastic. She knows all the players directly. And then the head coach, Craig Harrington, he's coming from another team. So he's come up against these players. So he knows the players indirectly. And I don't actually know the players so it's interesting we have, when we have discussions, we've covered every single horizon, if that's a word, around yeah. the player. Yeah. Uh, so we're having some really good conversations and, you know, we're just managing our time. And, you know, I think, as I said, it's important, you know, you can get principles out. But actually, we're, we're doing a lot of things around sanity. Like we'll get on our WhatsApp group, Zoom calls. We're doing like little competitive challenges just to keep that fresh and have a little laugh and just keep people... Uh, saying it and just remind them that every day that goes past is a day closer to what we all want which is to be on the grass again yeah and and, and that that day will come very soon i i hope for yourself and for everyone lou lou you're going to do an amazing job out in the states i can't wait to uh be checking up on the results and yeah i really wish you the best and thank you so much for coming on and giving us your your time it's been an absolute privilege yeah, thanks, Lou. Absolutely fascinating. Some great stuff in there, uh, listening to the experiences, but some really good anecdotes for the coaches listening in. Listen, take those words of wisdom, take that experience that Lou's been able to share and try and put it into to your game, Lou. Fantastic. Take care, mate. Thank Look after yourself. Thank you for having me and um, wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> always, always, always. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Nice. Bye. Thank thanks. you. James, so uh, just to quickly wrap up, because we've gone on for about four hours there, uh, which is easily done because it, it's fascinating stuff for all coaches involved, all coaches listening. I mean, uh, for great experience as a, a national team coach, uh, head coach, sorry, from a, a, a club assistant manager and just the experience picked up working with some of the individuals he has. It's just brilliant wisdom for all. So very, very happy to hear from Louis uh, tonight and uh, even even now I've still picked up some some value from it. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating, Matt. Every time we, we do one of these podcasts, uh, we speak to people like Louis who, have, who really are invaluable to, to the aspiring coach. And that's why what we're doing here at, on, on the podcast, we, we're trying to open up the, the world of what it really takes to, to achieve, your, achieve your ambition as a, as a football coach. And I think, I think we'll go back to when we spoke to Spencer uh, and Sean a, a couple of weeks ago. And, and there's a few snippets. And what the couple of them I really want to mention is, is taking those opportunities when they're placed in front of you. Because yeah. you, really, you really don't know where they're going to lead. 
you might think, oh, this is, this is going to be difficult or this might, this sounds, this sounds crazy. But if you were seized onto those opportunities and you say yes and you roll with it and you get there and you go, you, opportunities can be limitless because you, you really have to say yes. You really have to go with it. You really have to take yourself out of your comfort zone as a coach and go and really take, make sacrifices and take risks. That, that, that is really, really important. And the second aspect is when you are in this scenario as a football coach, you have to be learning. You have to be continuously developing. And if, if that's watching other coaches or that's listening to this podcast and taking those little bit of snippets, and I'm going to be taking a couple of those things from what Lou just said about Disneyland and a couple of the other bits. And I'm going to be feeding that back to other coaches. You have to try and develop your own football environment. You have to develop your own knowledge, not just about experience, but knowledge. And yeah, fascinating. And I I, would say we've been on here for nearly, whatever, maybe 90 minutes. We could go on talking for another couple of hours, but maybe people will get bored. Maybe they won't. But the real football people, the real ones who really want to go to the next level, they'll listen all the way to the end because that's, <laughs> that's how important it is. But yeah, fascinating. fascinating. Yeah, absolutely spot on, mate. I totally agree. So don't want to take up too much time. That pool is waiting for you. Uh, I'm going to go into my swimming pool as well. Uh, the public bath, probably. <laughs> so we'll talk again soon, mate. Thank you very much for your time, like always, and look after yourself. Ah, yeah, you too, Matt. Fascinating. Thank you so much. I love this. I really love it. Thank Cheers, you. James. Bye-bye. So, there we go, everyone. Thank you for listening to another podcast. And if you want to subscribe to make sure you get notified when the next ones come up, just follow us on the Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, or any of the platforms that you may be using. Just type it into Google and then type into Developing Your Football World. I'm Matt Ward. That was James McLoon. And that was Louis Lancaster. And it was great to have you all listening. Take care for now.